and welcome to Ace Comicals episode 133. And today it is a full house. Um, we have the triumvirate. So I'm Greg and uh, we have Rahul. Hello, everyone. And Leon. Hey, guys. When was the last time all three of us were in the same place? <laughs> it's, it's never been true. We're all the same entity. Don't, don't let the audience know. <laughs> Oh, that's so weird. Like three faces of like some kind of like formless, shapeless shadow creature thing. You know, it like, probably could have even been like Open Mike Eagle in person rather than the podcast. That's true. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it was. Yeah, <laughs> it was actually. Yeah. Oh, that's a nice memory. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, three, three faced, a three faced entity floating above like a cauldron of that, that needs to be continually topped up with comic book sacrifices. <laughs> <laughs> Just feeding paper into our mouths. <laughs> bunch of bunch of cloaked figures just like chanting as they do this like figure eight from the edge of the room where there's a stack up to the cauldron and then back round again and the green fire just can just uh, uh, you know like rhythmically like every time a new book drops in. But yeah, here we are. Summoned for your pleasure. Um, so we've got quite a bit to get through today, but before we do that, um, what have we been up to guys? Cause I noticed there's a fair few things written down here, films and things that you guys have been watching or doing. So do you want to kick us off, Leon? Oh, crap. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Put you on the spot. Um, okay. So I've watched Stranger Things, like I assume all of us have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I quite enjoyed, what's this, volume one or whatever of season four? It is. Are you uh, bored of Kate Bush yet? <laughs> uh, well, I, I think that's impossible. But I, I want to um, love that song, right? I like Kate Bush. I want to love that song. I love, I love running up that hill. I, I, you know, I like the song, but it's just, it, there's a point where when it's everywhere and every other TikTok that you watch... <laughs> That's your first mistake. That's your first mistake, man. Yeah, yeah. Don't use yeah. don't use TikTok. That's your first mistake. <laughs> don't use TikTok. But also, I don't let the internet ruin things for me anymore. I still love that song. If anything, yeah. hearing it all the time makes me love it more. It's fine. It's I, fine. I find I find myself changing the lyrics to it now, where I'm like looking at my cat as he's asleep on the sofa, and I'm like, if I only could make a deal with you, I'd ask God to change our places. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I always find myself like singing it, and then I just transition between the back and forth between the placebo version and the Kate Bush version. Hmm. Oh yeah, because the placebo version is amazing. My own little in-head remix. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm not bored of it. Um, I think that the episode that uses it heavily is really good, and the best one of the season, episode four. Yeah, uh, for a really good mm-hmm. climax. And I'm glad to see that the Zoomers are into uh, Kate Bush's brand of. Uh, idiosyncratic music so I'm, I'm cool with that um but yeah yeah don't use tiktok but um like what did you guys think <laughs> um i love stranger things i always love stranger <laughs> things uh <laughs> there's a, a particular character in a particular two characters in this that i vibe with massively and i would love them to have their own um movie slash show where it's just the two of them buddied up the internet loves Eddie Munson, so you you might get yeah. your wish. I want but, I want the Argyle and Eddie show, <laughs> like those two. Just just like I, I imagine it, kind of like a Bill and Ted style thing. 
Like those two just getting high as hell in Argyle's truck. Argyle's, well, truck, I mean, kind of like camper van comes, pizza delivery van, surf van thing, and just traveling the West Coast and just getting into all sorts of Cheech and Chong style trouble. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think that could be great. I mean, I, the first thing I thought of uh, when watching this and thinking of you was like this whole satanic panic thing, which you've brought up multiple times in the cast. It's a touch point for like yeah. multiple stories that we yeah. read. I figured you'd vibe with that quite a lot. And it is nice to see that sort of given weight and then, you know, it sort of ran with and being a kind yeah. of a plot point in this season. It's really interesting. Well, it's a really interesting thing, the satanic panic, because I kind of think of it as a, um, like witchcraft hysteria, you know, like mm. the Salem witch trials, kind of witchcraft hysteria, the hysteria surrounding that, which, which resulted in the, the Salem witch trials and everything else. Mm. And then, um, also like, the kind of like mass mass vampire hysteria that kind of like ripped through Eastern Europe and everything. It's kind of like the, the satanic panic was a mass occult supernatural hysteria thing of our time. If you think about it, like of the 20th Mm. century. And that's, what's so interesting about it that, that, you know, even after all this time with all of, you know, even after we have managed to, slake an awful lot of superstition as as a society we are still prone to this um yeah. and and it's super interesting to think about it that way yeah it is it is interesting and then speaking of uh like being hysterical over vampires i gather you've been playing something vampire related that you've been hysterical over yeah, I, I've well, it, it kind of comes from one of the comics that I'm going to read later on as well. But I kind of fell into a a hole of uh, vamp. I mean, I, I've always had a, a soft spot for the old vampire thing, anyway, like games <laughs> and stories and things like that. Like hmm. Castlevania has always been my jam. And uh, there's this game called V Rising that I heard about and decided to check out, which is kind of like a. Um, they call them ARPGs, right? I just call it Diablo-y. Hmm. But that's what an ARPG is, isn't it, Ray? Right? Yeah, sort of like a, a yeah. top-down, action-y, yeah. clicky thing. Although I gather it's not... Yeah. I haven't played it myself. I've kind of held off pulling the trigger because I'm still playing Elden Ring and I don't want to dilute my attention yeah. with other places. But I gather it's less Diablo and more sort of like base-building, sort of um, uh, like valheim but from a from a top-down perspective. I don't know if yeah, you've played Yeah, so it's like... I've never played that, no, but like imagine like Diablo mechanics, hmm. but with the survival element, because it's not just building a base, it's survival, because you don't just have to like sit there and, and turtle up and build a castle and whatever. You have to actively go out and take lives and drink blood. And, you know, you have to feed, you have to feed the, the, the heart of the castle with the blood that you harvest from the, uh, the, the unsuspecting villagers. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just like you can't, you know. Ah, it, oh, it's so good. But yeah, like, are you normally into these kind of survival uh, or like uh, you know base building mechanics, or is it specifically the vampire framing that that's got you hooked in? It's, I think it's specifically the supernatural shit. <laughs> um, because like things like Ark, is it Ark Survive or whatever? Like I tried playing mm. that, and I tried playing, but I'm just like. I'm not into standing there in a loincloth banging two rocks together until a house appears, you know, <laughs> like, I can't, I can't do that. <laughs> so 
But like killing all these villagers and like pumping your castle full of blood sounds like a much better framing. <laughs> yeah, really and then cool. and then like yeah. and then like killing monsters, harvesting their bones and turning them into weapons. Like, <laughs> what is more metal than that? <laughs> you tell me, man. Like, I love that stuff. So yeah, that that was that was what what, what hooked me into it, and and also the the survival element and like the fact that it the daytime happens and you have to keep to the shadows, and and. Mm. You have to like, like, it's just like the fear, the fear of the sunlight. Like you can get caught out in the sunlight in the game and he's like, shit, 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 shit. And the damage is just racking up and you have to just like run under a tree really quickly. And I feel like that's my life anyway, because I am translucent, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's how it is. But yeah. Yeah, it's great. I love it. Well, if you love vampires, Greg, have I got the movie for you? Okay. <laughs> what time uh, is, is it? it? Mor- is it Morbin time, Leon? Is it Morbin time? <laughs> yes, it is. It's Mighty Morphin Morbin time. Uh, but I can't really tell you much about that movie, despite the fact that I watched it from beginning to end, because I literally remember nothing about it apart from a few weird oddities here and there, and a Doctor Who being in there somewhere. But what a that... strange thing to do with your birthday weekend, Leon? I uh, know that was that was the week before. I would never sully. <laughs> Anything to do with my birth with um, Michael Morbius in Jared uh, Leto form. Uh, but it, it, it is, it's, it's, it's a kind of a weird turn of events because for me, Morbius was always, um, I only really experienced Morbius in the Spider-Man 90s cartoon, not even in the, yeah, the comics and stuff. And it's so weird for such a like Z-tier uh, like, hero to be played by like super famous and Academy Award winner. And for Sony to be like, yeah, yeah, this, this is our, uh, we're building our Spider-Man universe off the back of uh, Venom with this. And it's like, now everywhere on my timeline, people are talking about Morbius. And it's, it's so weird. It's like, why do you people know about this character? Why are you talking about this, this Eastern European, like, accent, whoever the voice actor was, like, due to sucks plasma out of people? Like, it's so weird. It's so Sucks weird. plasma through his hands. Yeah, through his hands. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the the movie, I I don't remember anything about it, and there's no way I'm going to rewatch it to find out. So um, yeah, that's my endorsement. <laughs> maybe, so if, you, if you want a two hour coma, watch Morbius. Is that uh, l- luckily, it's mercifully an hour forty five minutes. I think okay. I remember that. But yeah, I remember <laughs> nothing about it. But uh, don't see it, people. Just don't be curious. Because what I do remember is that it's not a so bad that it's funny movie. It's a so bad that it's boring movie. And that is the worst offence a film can ever be. <laughs> Does he say it's morbid time? Is that a line in the movie? No, no. Uh-huh. I mean, how would he, how would he know? Because he, <laughs> he doesn't remember. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I would remember that. I would have, I would have uh, woken from my haze. But uh, <laughs> no, um, that will be in the director's cut when they release the... Uh, the 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 Leto cut in how whenever in in a year's time yeah so morbius um apparently first appeared in uh spider-man uh was it amazing spider-man 101 i think um and he was originally a villain um for when you said that greg just made me think of like uh Spider-Man walk into a class, flipping the seat around backwards. Hey guys, I'm going to teach you about me. And then the first <laughs> thing he brings out is Jared Leto's uh, Morbius. It's like I I don't want this class anymore. I'm out of here. But yeah, um, 
it's like it was 1971 yeah spider amazing spider-man 101 october 1971 um and yeah i feel like this was um some kind of uh cash in on the kind of like so yeah the 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 comics code lifted a ban on supernatural characters and so forth and so on like certain monsters and supernatural characters were now fair game for comics creators um and uh they decided to give us morbius <laughs> so yeah that's where that came from because they're like let's uh let's sh-. basically it was like let, let's let's then now that we can do vampires let's shoehorn in a vampire you know so that's where that came from. But yeah, he was a he was a Spider Man baddie, and he's um, he's a pretty lesser known Spidey baddie because you don't see it. You've not you don't tend to see an awful lot of him in in modern Spider Man comics. Um, and like Leon said, like a lot of us, our first brush with him and only brush with him would have been in the '90s Spider Man cartoon where he sucks plasma through his hands. So yeah, and he's yeah. got a great name. <laughs> yeah. Did he have a motorbike in that? I can't remember because I think Blade crossed over a lot in that arc, and obviously Blade has uh, a motorcycle, so I can't remember what yeah. if that overlapped and uh, re uh, reimprinted on our memories, or maybe he did have a cool Morbin bike. Wasn't Blade like pretty much just a carbon copy of the Punisher in that as well? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. With a light tan. Yeah. Player two Punisher, if if the Punisher was a Street Fighter character, yeah. But yeah, no, um, that's all on Disney Plus. If you're interested, <laughs> oh, the Spider Man. I was like, for a second, I was like, Morbius on Disney Plus. That that'd be horrific. <laughs> it probably will be, you know. No, it probably it's, will it's, be. It's a Sony movie. They're going to keep yeah. all to themselves. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, all of Spider Man TV shows on Disney Plus. If you really want to put yourself through that, yeah, I mean, it's worth, great, but it's also not great. Yeah, so. it's definitely worth a watch to like get an idea of what like yeah cartoons in the nineties were like and all the restrictions that they had on that cartoon. And yeah. it, it does a good job of like doing a good PG covering of a lot of substantial arcs. Same with that X Men cartoon, which also had terrible animation. Like they do cover some big um, comic book arcs. In a in a good in a in a fun fashion for a kids TV, a nice concise TV friendly way, and also not to go into much of a tangent before I change my point, but Spider Man was really one of my first entries into like like long form uh, like serialized uh, storytelling because um, it was that and the anime that I first got into in the in the, the mid nineties. Because Spider-Man was all like, instead of being like most cartoons, which are like one and done, uh, Freak of the Week type thing, Spider-Man was all very like, uh, it was big arcs where it was like 13 episodes plus, like following the same storyline, which was kind of cool and novel for the time. I'm going to stop you before this becomes a therapy session about the, uh, the Clone Saga. No, no, Um, I I, I avoid that. And it it, it has nothing to do with the, the golden period that is the cartoon. But, um, as soon as you said Spider-Man was my first foray into long-form storytelling, I was like, oh, here we go. Clone no, 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 no. I'm talking about good <laughs> stuff. Um, but yeah, on, on top of that, I, I caught Sonic 2, uh, which yeah. I think we've all seen. 
Uh, as yeah. someone who wasn't the biggest fan of Sonic One, Sonic Two is good. It's uh, it's nice and fun. It's the fan service stuff is cool. It's an improvement over the first one, which has a lot of stuff that I didn't care for. Uh, and I don't. I'm not quite fully bought in on what whatever Jim Carrey's doing. But overall, as a package, it's a fun enough movie, and uh, Knuckles is awesome, and Tails is awesome, uh, and I had a fun time of it. Uh, like surprisingly. Uh, and then uh, I recently watched Top Gun Maverick which I I bring up because if you can go to a cinema and see that in IMAX or LIMAX I'd heavily recommend it because it's like a roller coaster it was like being in 4DX even though I I only saw it in LIMAX (laughs) was Uh, it it as good as that roller coaster video that used to be on really old computer I can't remember like do you know when you're a kid and you, you And you're at school and you've got like the old computers that had like, we, we used to have this roller coaster video, like, uh, like POV roller coaster video on the computer at school. Um, and I can't remember what roller coaster it was or anything, but everyone used to think it was like the coolest thing ever. I'm going to hazard a guess that Top Gun Maverick was better than that ancient screensaver. <laughs> only, only slightly. <laughs> And that's Do either of you two even know what I'm talking about, or am I just uh, rambling? And uh, not not what you're talking about specifically, but it does like that notion of those does ring a bell. Yeah, that used to be a reward. <laughs> but what happens is that just became a thing in early VR. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah. That. Uh, but yeah, you wouldn't want to watch uh, Top Gun Maverick in VR because I think you would yeah. throw up. Even <laughs> the most seasoned uh, ace F- combat player. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, players, not pilots. <laughs> Would would yeah. find uh, that pretty hard going in uh, in uh, VR, but yeah, the the movie's really good. It pretty much is like one of the better versions of uh, of these legacy uh, legacy sequels yeah. that we get a lot yeah. of. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's one of those that is is hands down ten times better than the original movie, which it was mid anyway. But so it's not really <laughs> saying that much. But like the movie is really yeah. good, and um, I'd heavily recommend it. Like. I don't know, like, the cinema is really loud, but I, I generally feel like I was being rocked around in my chair. Like, <laughs> like, like so, some of the uh, cinematography in, in this is incredible because a lot of it is cameras inside actual fighter jets and mm. you can feel it when it is. Like, it just looks incredible. And Tom Cruise is a crazy person who is, like, uh, keeping cinema alive. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, everybody and their mum knows it's all military propaganda. Uh, but, like, it's not exactly like the Simpsons episode. Uh, like, you you know what it is, uh, and you can you can take and leave what you don't want. But, um, yeah, that was a fun movie uh, that I recommend. And then the last one, just because we haven't spoken about it on the show yet, despite the fact that between us, me and Rahul probably watch it, like, 12 times now. Uh, <laughs> everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, it, it's out everywhere um i believe you can it's on vod in most territories now as well but mm-hmm. uh, i don't even want to say say too much about that just watch it just go in there blind watch it if you enjoy this podcast and if you don't enjoy this podcast you'll probably get a lot out of this movie so check it out yeah just to echo that yeah it's absolutely fantastic like leon said between us we must have racked up at, like in terms of hours like 30 hours of watching that film perhaps um, yeah, I don't even want to bring up any touchstones either. Like, I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Just, just go see it. 
Yeah. You guys have like actually been outside. Jeez. I've just been spending like hours listening to rain noises on Spotify or um, reading the comics I've read or listening to podcasts about vampires. So, I mean, all of that is a perfectly valid way to live your life as well. <laughs> Besides just <laughs> going out to the cinema occasionally. It's, it sounds I great. Fell in, I fell into a hole and decided that, <laughs> that I needed to learn more about vampires. And I'll tell you why I fell into a hole and decided I need to learn more about vampires. It's because of a book called Black Mass Rising um, that is published by TKO Comics, um, which I am now going to tell you all about. So, Black Mass Rising um, is an expansion of the Dracula myth. Um, It's like a sequel to Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, and, um, it kind of like takes place after that, after the darkness has lifted and everything else. So if I read you the blurb from the back of the book, cause that's probably the best thing to do, isn't it? Um, so as the shadow of 100 years of darkness begins to fade, a young peasant girl dares to dream of a better future. But when a mysterious healer drifts into town, a new evil begins to stir among the ruins of the Lord of the Undead's former castle. And that's where Greg got interested. (laughs) So, yeah, this is like beautifully painted, grandiose horror. And it's an examination of faith, of the nature of hope, of the nature of God and the devil and good and evil. And it's like really, like really grandiose themes that it kind of like sinks its, uh, its fangs into. Um... It's an examination of the vampire myth and the relationship of the vampire myth to other tales and other parts of European folklore, um, to religion and to the melding of the two. So, like, as we all know, a lot of, like, um, things that we know from folklore actually evolved from other things that we know from folklore from further back. And everything's kind of like a a crossbreeding and an evolution and a borrowing of ideas and everything else. And, and then what we know today as like the, these modern creatures, like, you know, our modern um, ideas of the undead and our modern ideas of vampires and our modern ideas of werewolves and everything else all have roots in very disparate, different parts of the world under different names and different guises and things like that in different little snippets of mythologies and folklores and everything else all borrowed from everywhere. And and then a modern myth is perpetuated by someone writing things down and creating a story as with like Bram Stoker's Dracula kind of like solidified and formed the modern vampire myth that we all subscribe to now, I guess. Um, and this kind of like, it, 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 it plays with that idea a little bit by giving us like, a little bit of you know a, a little a little bit of a look into other bits of folklore and everything else and probably a more folklorish view of what a vampire is or what certain demons are and you know like like different things that we would come across and things like that and and how those manifest and so on and so forth and it's quite cool um i really do like and how religion it might have influenced that how christianity particularly might have influenced that um and that ties into another book i've read today actually like the influence of of religion and christianity and and um what i'm gonna call religious fascism in a way 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's interesting how all of that works. And it's interesting to think about those things. And I like the story here and I like the twists as we sort of journey towards the finale and the, the revelation at the end of the book. Um, it's beautifully painted. Um, you've got these like haunting painted characters and, and environments and it's like, um, it kind of evokes a feeling of you are in a castle looking at classical paintings, like some of the full page work and some of the, um, like the larger panels, um, particularly have this kind of like quality of, I am standing admiring these in a torchlit gallery in some stone hallway somewhere, you know, like that, that kind of feeling you want from a vampire story and you can kind of hear the sort of like choral singing in the background of some of it and like and and like the the kind of um you know the score for black mass rising leon yes um like there's that there's the stuff where it gets really kind of biblical and choral right mm-hmm. or am i confusing it with something else no, I think you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah. So imagine that in your head as you're reading this. Like, it, it, it's that's what it does to me. Um, and it's, yeah, this, this beautiful feast of doom and destiny. There's, like, all kinds of themes going on. And, yeah, it is just an extension of the, of the uh, Dracula myth. But at the same time, it is not just an extension of the Dracula myth. It's something else, and it's great. Uh, and I loved every second of it. And yeah, I was really impressed with this as a comic and as a kind of a building on an existing story and some of the colour work. And I just like some of these pages with these these creatures and things. It's just it's so, so gorgeous, such a gorgeous book. And I defy anyone <laughs> to read this and be like and, 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 you know, not enjoy the art style or not find themselves just lost in individual panels. and. There's this one particular double page spread, which is just so amazing. Um, it's, it's incredible and I can't, I can't get enough of it. And it's probably one of my favorite um, horror books now, actually. Um, Cause I've kind of flicked through it like two or three times and it, it, it's so, so good. And that is what kind of set me on this path to, podcasts about vampire law and <laughs> god knows what else that i've been listening to in this past week and a half so yeah um that's where i am so yeah you, you might want to you might want to put a stake in me after this because i'm done um <laughs> and yeah it's uh so that is black mass rising um and you can get that from tko comics because that's where that's available uh, TKO, you know, smashing it, always smashing it as they always do. Everything they ever publish, I tend to read and really fucking enjoy. Um, and that is by, uh, that is uh, Theo Parasis is the writer there. Jody Muir is the artist. Um, lettered by Hassan Otsman Elhal. Um, edited by Sebastian Gurner. Um yeah, it's uh, it's something else. So check that out if you can. Um, 
yeah uh have you guys got anything that you want to bring up now because i'm going to go free form on this because i neglected to decide what order we're going to discuss the books in before we started recording so go ahead talk to me about one <laughs> well okay uh the, the one that i've got open in front of me right now is outer wilderness so i don't mind talking about that um oh, have, oh, yeah. have, have both of you read that yes because uh, so uh, we were given a preview of this um, via Avery Hill Publishing, who's you know the publisher for this book. It's a book by uh, Claire Scully. Um, I believe they did the, the you know they're the creator of this book. They're the author. They did the illustration, and everything. Um, and it's there's a, there's a series of them. Yeah, um, I gather. So there's yeah. a series of three, uh, and I believe this is the last of three. So it was Internal Wilderness. Uh, the second is there is a place called Desolation Wilderness, and then this is the third and final Outer Wilderness. And it's essentially like a, a series of one-page static vignettes of like sci-fi landscapes, and it's it's really beautiful. And I, I, it, it's kind of like it's that thing that I imagine from um, like old pulp sci-fi novels, you know, where they have like these really romantic sci-fi landscapes on the cover, but kind of done in a in a more modern sort of uh, contemporary comic style, which I really like. Yeah. And like every you, single. Uh... Q theremin music. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like it really brings that to mind. And like, it, I feel like every single page of this is sort of pregnant with undiscovered meaning and like frightening awe, which is exactly what I want from and like, theremin music and theremin music, which is exactly what I want from like sci-fi landscape <laughs> explorations. It's kind of what like what I wanted No Man's Sky to be, and it's also kind of what I got from uh, at the Outer Wild. Oh, sorry, yeah, the Outer Wilds video game. Which I, I wonder if it's just a. Uh, uh, a, a happy coincidence that there's some, you know, overlap between the titles of these these works. But like, you know, that thing of exploring spaces like alien environments, where the line between like handcrafted authored environments and like the confluence of how organically things are, you know, developed over eons is kind of blurred. And you know, like for example, there's one one image on this where there's a, a channel that's sort of leading out from your viewpoint out into the page. There's like a bridge on this endless ocean and there's these outcroppings which sort of curve over the path and it looks organic like it's the buildup of silt over millennia but it's also too straight and too purposeful not to have meaning and to like you know to to not have been designed and i just really love that stuff where it's it's incomprehensible and beautiful and like every single page of this really satisfied me and i really want to go back and pick up internal wilderness and there is a place called desolation wilderness because of the three like from the previews i've seen on claire scully's website um like one of them is sort of uh, organic, earthy, sort of sepia, black and white tinted tones, and then another is also uh, like quite earthy, but um, more like vegetation, and it's sort of uh, like forests at night where it's all blues and uh, greys and those kind of hues. And like this one is uh, really colourful in comparison, and like I just really like that that trifecta of images and. I think i'm gonna go pick these up and have them as coffee table books i'd be really happy to have them yeah how about you guys incredible. absolutely mm. incredible um i for me this was like the so i got like the slow evolution like from page to page so i viewed this as a timeline of like so imagine like because i i listen to a lot of like drone and slow metal and, and stuff like that and have you ever just like sat there and stared at a tree like really stared up at a tree and and tried to take in its form and look at it and, and imagine like it's it's evolution and how it actually looks like the blood 
the, the veins in a human body and things like that. Have you ever done that? Have you ever spent that long looking at a tree, Ray? I mean, <laughs> I want to say yes, but I don't want to be tied into your weirdness. No, like, uh, yeah, I get that that thing of like wanting to truly contemplate um, like a single yeah. entity and see how, like, trying to imagine yeah. its growth but, from like bud to current form, and yeah, but but not just a single entity, like just truly contemplate. Like, I'm probably getting these in the wrong order now because I'm not a paleontologist, but like Precambrian <laughs> to to Caledonian to whatever to you know, like just those eons of 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 evolution and growth and things building on things over an infinite expanse of time. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when you're a kid and you're in biology class and you're learning about how sand dunes form plants, Mm. like that idea of like something being like a really, really, really simple life form and slowly becoming more complex over time and building on itself. And then, like and and that's what I got from this book as I went through it and I'm I'm getting this this vibe from it and I'm reading these pages and I'm seeing these beautiful alien forms like I am being taught the ancient um, geological history of some far off planet somewhere you know yeah I can kind of picture what you mean like we've got this omniscient view of this this landscape and it could yeah. very well be like one fixed moment in space time. And like we're yeah, I, blinking our shutter off every sort of hundred million years, and we're seeing yeah. the like the change in evolution between those pauses. Yeah, it's I, like I, it, it's like Galactus watching his dinner cook in the microwave because <laughs> he's waiting for he's waiting for it to get enough life energy so that it's going to be like you know it's going to sustain him a little bit. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I viewed it in, in a similar way, uh, especially because you do have the introduction page where it's like a sequence of events occurring over an unimaginable period of time in the vast mm. space. So for me, like, especially at the beginning, it feels very like uh, unformed and uh, like a volcanic uh, eruption, like post volcanic eruption forming into different types of rocks and stuff. And then, plants and vegetation coming along and just the uh the way that even the the look of the like the flora um seems to evolve itself uh as as we go through the book like you get these crystals earlier uh, earlier on like um which are very in like sort of baby crystal you know how kryptonite usually looks in comic books and then a few pages later they're like super spiky and sharp and and then uh, even um like later they're a bit more dolled up but they're more like larger structures um but it also gave me like the vibe of like the last 20 minutes of 2001 a space odyssey like i could almost imagine it with like uh legacy music or even some philip glass in a coin squatty type way like it has this ballet of nature uh degree to it where even though we're viewing this still pages at a time it also i can feel movement in there and it's like like you said rahul it's, it's like the shutter speed set to a hundred million years at a time or something like that like i think that's a really great way of putting it yeah man um i actually found this book to be kind of like calming like you hmm. could use it as a meditation aid because it's really contemplative. Like when you're going from page to page, like the calming effect of thinking about and considering the development 
of life and the strange forms in this landscape and like just like put yourself in there and try to imagine like what sounds like what the atmosphere would be like obviously you'd die very quickly because i doubt you'd be able to breathe it but like just imagine you know like and and like the 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 slow creak of minute progress and like lifetimes unimaginable or fathomable amounts of time and then like the silver surfer just like flicking past or whatever you know and just these like wonderful forms just moving and dancing and growing and just yeah all the clean line work and everything and the immediate um imagination and and the incredible imagination with it and the detail and like the the the, the understanding is formed with each page like as a different mm. moment in the vastness of this timeline that we're looking at like you, you form an understanding with that and then you're like oh okay and you oh, just yeah. instantly understand what's happening it's great yeah i'll tell you what uh, what i thought of when reading it was like i could imagine this being um like a museum piece or like in an art gallery you know like where you've got like these huge stark blank walls and then you have these images sort of displayed on them and as you go from room to room you hear like different soundscapes that would sort of match the environment you're seeing like some at some point is liquidy and oceanic and at some point it's like uh foresty and like with uh, the undergrowth sort of moving around like that's how i felt like moving from one space to another and that i, th- I would love that i would love to go to this exhibit if it was sort of mm. projected huge and you could sort of like be enveloped in it yeah completely um and i yeah i i couldn't get enough of it it was great and um that is Outer Wilderness, entirely the work of Claire Scully. Um, available um, 16th of June in the UK and the 23rd of June in the US. Uh, by the time you're listening to this cast, you can probably buy this. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it will be, it is 32 pages long and it will be priced at £8.99 for the UK, uh, $12.95 for the US. And that is av- available via Avery Hill Publishing. Uh, there will be links on the page for this podcast. Um, the next one, I'm just going to pick one at random from the list. Um, so, so let's go with the other preview book. Let's go with Sleeping While Standing. So you guys both checked this out, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So this is uh, Sleeping While Standing, and this is a um, a book of short, vignettes um kind of like almost like swimming in someone's memories i guess is the best way i can describe going through this book but each one informs the next in in a way and it's all interlinked and connected um and this is uh, sleeping while standing which is the work of taki soma and it's a uh, in the words of the blurb um from the press release it's a series of short autobiographical comics um and we drop in 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 important events throughout soma's life that shaped who she is today told in her compelling and humorous authorial voice and uh we led through her early childhood in japan in the early 80s to moving to minnesota separation of her parents childhood trauma teenage angst death drugs comics health issues Love, fertility, pets, and zombies. It's all there. Um, and yeah, it's um, an unflinching look at some particularly harrowing moments, but threaded through with levity and love. So, uh, Ray, do you want to kick us off and tell us what you thought? I can do, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to know how to critique this one because it's so personal and so raw and so earnest. And like, 
I think you've explained it quite well. I don't really want to dive into any specific vignette or anything. Like, I guess just because I, I, it's, it's, I only just recently read it, and it's too soon to sort of like be picking apart something that's so, um, so brutally honest in places. Um, it does have for me like a kind of a more than the sum of its parts element to it because I kind of initially I was uh, this is going to sound harsh and I, I, it's because I haven't really formed my thoughts on it well but like I don't I don't find the the artwork to be particularly uh, like captivating for me but the way that it's all put together like the construction and like how um, simply it like it it, it has its concept. Like everything sort of really worked together for me. And it was actually a really emotional read for me. Like it's um it's messy and disjointed and abrupt in places, but the concept is really strong. Like it's I didn't realize this until like halfway through and it was confirmed at the end, but it's basically like ex- she's explaining a key part of her life in, at, in four pages at a time, or four pages or fewer at a time. And it makes it so palatable and like there are like you see the 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 full construction of her life. And you can really get a sense of who this person is without really seeing all the bits that happen in between. And like, it does take a moment somewhere in the middle to sort of say how basically everything we've seen is like a really harrowing, awful moment in her life. But that's not all that encompasses her life. And then it goes back to dives back into the <laughs> like the, the 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 real misery, all the things that tend to shape you as a person, tend to shape the way that you view the world. And like, I I, I honestly really enjoyed it. It makes me feel immensely privileged to be handed these previews to look at because like i don't know if i would have found this on my own and like i'm just really glad to have to have read it and i think it's a really significant piece of work um like yeah I, i'd really want to see what uh, takisama has to do to do next um the only other thing i wanted to bring out is that there's a foreword by uh brian michael bendis at the start and he sort of smugly says um uh, I'm sorry, have you never heard of the 1993 Canadian biographical film about the pianist Glenn Gould called 32 Short Films about Glenn Gould? I'm like, I've seen 22 short films about Springfield. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't think, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, I that's what I've got. I didn't <laughs> know what he was talking about. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's an episode from The Simpsons. That, so that's where I've discovered that movie from. Oh, is that... Oh, and, and The Simpsons parodied that film? Yes, there's that yeah. one where they, there's oh. 22 short films where it's like two minutes of each person. It's, I'm sort of going off on a tangent. I just wanted to bring that up and say, I knew what you were talking about, Brian Michael Pettis. Anyway. <laughs> you full named him, man. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. For me, it, it was this powerful, beautiful, traumatic autobiographical anthology mm. um, of short stories from the life of Takisoma. Um, we go through these stories as fragments of a whole person so it's actually like having someone sit opposite you and recount their most vivid memories with no specificity, just just moments that come to mind immediately. Like, oh, yeah, and this. Oh, yeah, and this. Um, traumatic moments, powerful moments, like life-changing moments, humorous, happy, sad, like a, a complete box of photographs, I guess, um, like of fragments of a whole. So, like, the construction and the fabric of the book itself is actually mirrored in the cover. So if you look at the cover of the book, um, which, um, if you follow the link on our page for this podcast, you will be able to find that. What I might also do is um, stick the preview imagery in the podcast page so you can just see it. Uh, If I get the chance to build a gallery, I will. Um, And, yeah, it's... um, you, you see the cover is is basically a torn up photo of Takisoma 
Mm. Um, and it's like placed in different pieces, but that, that kind of tells me what the book is, like what the fabric of the actual book is looking at that cover. Um, and it kind of like informs you going in. That's what I got anyway. Um, yeah. And it, it, yeah. I was going to say, I agree. Like it's a really apt sort of visual metaphor. You know exactly what you're getting into. Yeah. I also wanted to add that. I think this is one of those rare books where I found the forewords and the afterwards to be really valuable as like context and framing for what the stories, what the stories you see are and sort of why they've been selected that way and how they, how they evolve. Cause like I said, it ends kind of abruptly, but when you read the reasonings behind that and sort of the yeah. real world, like timing b- between all these scenarios, it makes a lot of sense that it's abrupt and there's a, you know, there's the promise of more, like it's the promise of more life and it's not a finality. And I think that, that that's quite a nice touch to yeah. everyone. And each fragment or moment is beautifully succinct and as important as the next and as vivid as the next. Mm. It's like a wonderful journey through memories, through a life, basically. And in this bold... See, I differ from you because I liked the art. I liked the bold graphic style. And I liked the, the kind of playfulness of the page layouts and the flourishes that draw from the essence of the subject matter of the particular fragment or memory that we're exploring. Yeah, so, I think... I like. Uh... Maybe I misspoke and I, I, I like I tried to uh, lampshade. I haven't really thought about the language I wanted to use there, but like I do agree that the the, the format on each page is really well thought out. I think because like part of what it says in uh, one of the forwards or the afterwards is like one of the thesis of these was to try and fit it into four pages or fewer, and by doing so, uh, she really had to self-edit and like be really uh, willing to like kill her darlings and know exactly what brought value to yeah. like information and to you know to emotion on the page and that really does come across really well i think it was more well i don't want to quantify it i think i i agree with you like i think the 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 construction of it is really intelligent yeah um leon what what do you make of this yeah echo a lot of what you guys say i really love the fragment uh fragmented style of it the the way that that is produced on the page is, is really cool and um uh affecting i say would be a word because uh like it really heightens the subject matter and the subject matter is uh very emotional and uh as you say like very personal and even in just the opening pages i was already like really angry at uh, her mom <laughs> so like um i i think it 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 does that thing where it's um so the richard linklater movie uh boyhood which mm-hmm. i believe is 20, 2014 film uh that movie is it's the movie where uh each year he shoots a couple scenes with like actors. He did, I think he did it over nine years or something like that. So the, the lead actor was, was, was like a child. And when, when they finished the movie, the lead actor's like 18 and you sort of, you spend a few scenes each year in that person's life. Uh, and, and you're watching them, watching them actually age in real life uh, um, because of the way it was shot, but also you get little glimpses into different times and things that like, played a part in their life and it but it's not overtly narrative based so it's not a thing of like oh that thing that happened three years ago that's what's leading to this scene but it's a lot more thematic and i think one of the things that link later said is that the way 
that he constructed the film was that when it comes to like big moments in your life, like those are the ones that are kind of like in pictures and stuff, but they're, they're not usually the ones that leave that much of an impact on you. It's like the ride home from graduation, not graduation. It's um, yeah. the bus going to the cinema. It's uh, it's the, the little chats and stuff uh, set around with your mates and stuff. It, it wasn't the, the big event. It wasn't the wedding, the funeral, blah, blah, blah. And I think like I get like some shades of that here because while we do, we are jumping to different events and stuff, the way they're presented doesn't, make it feel like and here is when this happened but instead we really get to see it through the lens of uh the of the of the of like the protagonist we 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 get to experience these like warps through through time and 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 space from their perspective and that's what makes it more subjective and more personal and makes every uh slight or abuse from from small from small to large uh sting that extra bit because uh we are kind of on this journey uh from from their vantage point and it to a degree like tiny tiny elements of it kind of remind me of like uh the satoshi khan movie uh millennium actress where if that movie it's about the in- interviewing uh, an actress at the end of her career about her career but the way the movie language shows it is that we're sort of going back through those movies and it's all done in the style of the movies as we jump from movie to movie and like the the camera crew are part of that like metaphysically traveling through that and like, i do feel like shades of how because of this being sort of kind of like a memoir in some ways it but the way it's visually done does feel like us as the readers are being pulled along uh, throughout this journey to to degrees where like people are pixelated or like we are viewing an event from a from a heavily stylized point of view and i think all of that instead of it being a what it could have been which is like uh gimmicks like uh, hit, uh get on this roller coaster with me through my life instead it's very powerful personal um and as i said before affecting and uh yeah, it's it's a book that I also read like quite recently, so I do want to let it soak in a bit. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I had uh, it was a time. It was definitely a time reading this, and it's a heavy recommend from me. Yeah, I, I do think it is interesting. Like what, listening to you talk about that, like it, I find it interesting that we've read two books uh, today that sort of have similar constructions but on different timelines, like Outer Wilderness and Sleeping While Standing. Again, both from Avery Avery Hill Publishing. But like that whole thing of getting snapshots and like the shutter blinking at specific times. And then you get to see like you can sort of put together the thread of a narrative because like this is a fully realized person. It's a real person telling her real story. So like even if we only get fragments of those moments, you can understand where the through line is and you can sort of like connect those dots. And like, I don't know, I just I find that interesting. I like that they're kind of strange bedfellows on two very different timescales. Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, I mean, like overall, I love the whole idea and the construction of the book and the premise and this whole collection of memories and how these moments are interlinked and how they inform each other while standing alone in their own importance. Um, each moment, like I like seeing each moment as a, a facet of the author and the writer, and we get to look into the kind of like reflections and like watch the light dance 
as it were, and kind of see what makes this person this person that is in front of us kind of thing or not in front of us this book that is this book that is this representation of this person that's in front of us um but yeah it's um overall it's great and i fully recommend that and that is available via avery hill publishing and that is sleeping while standing by takisoma um published 14th of july in the uk 21st of july us 12 pounds 99 uk price uh 16 dollars 95 when it hits shelves in the us so go check that out um okay so of the remaining books um if i was to just throw a rock at something that i've not read because i want you to to talk about it so um i'm gonna sit back in in my uh throne and snap a pool cue in half and throw it on the floor and just let you guys go for it now Sorry, I thought you were throwing a stone at a particular story. Um, No, no, uh, no, no, no. I I was going to, and then I was like, you know what? No, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be um, evil pit lord about it, and I'm gonna sit there and watch you two fight. It's just gonna be me and me and Rahul trying to figure out how to play pool with a broken cue. um, (laughs) I'll take a. I hate this place uh, since I just read that one. I won't spend too long, but uh, I've got some things to say. So this is uh, I Hate This Place, uh, written by Kyle Starks, art done by Art John uh, Topolin, uh, colours done by Lee Luffridge, letters done by Pat Brousseau. Uh, This is an image comic, and uh, I think the first issue, only two issues in, I think. I think the second issue comes out next week, so this came out uh, last month. And the basic blurb of this is Gabby... Uh, has inherited a, a ranch from her estranged, uh, estranged late great aunt. Uh, with her partner Trudy, the pair move in with hopes of renovating, cultivating the livestock, and then selling up so that you can start their uh, elusive millennial dream of home ownership in a place they desire. However, all is not as it seems with this ranch, with its hidden rooms, cryptic videos, and terrifying, otherworldly, and paranormal spooky goings on leading Gabby and Trudy to an uncomfortable choice. Get the F out of there or stick out for a year until they can sell up. How much are you willing to put up uh, with to achieve your dream? Uh, which is the, the general idea. And uh, yeah, th- this book, I it's... Uh, <laughs> I think the build-up for it is really good because we start um, watching these criminals meet up and... Uh, one of them is about to betray the others and saying, like, give me the money, uh, uh, I'm screwing you guys over. <laughs> and then he pulls out a gun, and yeah. the other guys are like, put that gun away, man. Like, we, we knew you were going to try and uh, double-cross us by the way you were acting on the job. We've hit, we buried the money somewhere, so, like, let's just all go and get a drink together and relax, and uh, we'll, then we'll sort out um, what everybody's owed afterwards or whatever. And then something wild happens. <laughs> uh, and this is where we meet our, our two protagonists who, who are uh, moving to this this ranch and sort of weighing up their life choices and are like excited but also a bit anxious about this, this life they have to do. And they've got people coming over who are going to help them run the ranch over that year. And it's just like, yeah, that's cool. Let's uh, try and enjoy this. Um, but the, the, each each of them has like different quirks. Um, I believe like 
Gabby is kind of estranged from like the family, the aunt who gave her the place and has very like fractured memories of the one time she visited and what the family were like. Um, and then her partner, Trudy is a bit of a, a light prepper who, uh, who has a, has a love for, for guns for like protection and stuff because they're going to be out in the wilderness and they, there could be bears or anything. And, uh, yeah, things get spooky, paranormal, and weird. And I think that instead of having this thing where it's just like a, okay, what's the mystery here? Da, 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 I kind of like that this, on a thematic level, but also on a textual level, is just a case of, like, more matter-of-fact about it, where it's just like, yeah, there's all these terrifying possible things, but, like, hey, we can do this for a year, right? Right? And it's like... It's kind of an indictment of like the current stage of capitalism we're in, especially for like millennials or whatever. Where it's like, oh, uh, like deal with this like uh, paranormal, uh, supernatural thing, and just like you know stick it out for the year and see. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It would be annoying, uh, but like uh, the poltergeist will do weird things in the kitchen and stuff. But like, I mean. Is it that bad? We just don't need to go out to the forest. That's all. We can do it for a year. And then we can sell up and buy a nice condo in the city. It sounds like a cross between the whole, like, the old trope of sleep in this, make it one night through this haunted house to get your inheritance. And um, this viral Tumblr post screenshot that I've seen of someone talking about, like, millennials just fully willing to put up with anything to to be able to get on the housing ladder yeah yeah moving into like a a fully haunted house with a poltergeist that always uses all the toilet paper so there's never any toilet paper and things like that and they're just like (laughs) fully willing to vibe with it and like blood pouring from the ceiling just because it was cheap property you know yeah and 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 yeah it definitely does evoke uh those vibes um and but i think what elevates this is that the characters feel really um real they they've got like nuance to them uh they seem to have like complicated thoughts they seem multi-dimensional uh in the way that they consider like life in general and then when uh the weird stuff starts to happen uh like how they would deal with it it's all very like pragmatic but also emotional uh, but not in an annoying don't go upstairs type way, which is quite um, quite interesting for me because it, it's different to what I was expecting. I think that the, uh, you know me, I'm always a sucker for great expressive character design and this has it in spades. Um, particularly, like, I think Trudy looks cool. She's like, um, uh, what's the word? She's like kind of, kind of shredded, kind of, kind of ripped. Um uh, she has a great hairstyle where it's like uh, curly hair on top and the sides and the back shaved uh, with a cool like septum ring. Like they, uh, they seem like a really cool pair and they seem uh, to, they they seem like people who, who didn't, weren't just created in page zero, but actually have known each other for a couple of years and to get to this point. And I quite like that because it's not like, they spend ages talking about, remember that when we went on our second date and blah, blah, blah. Instead, it's just, just the little turns of phrase that the way they interact where it's like, yeah, yeah, this is, uh, this is a a cool couple. 
and then all the environmental stuff around them seeks to like amplify a lot of that because like the um when it, it when things are normal and then when things are strange the uh the coloring's really good especially at night time where it's um it takes on these different hues in a really like chilling way that i found to be very effective whether it's like warm uh weird glows or if it's uh the just what the night sky is is like uh, in a ranch in in, in a more of a rural area. But uh, yeah, ultimately I think this is a great premise with a lot of potential. And I think all five parts are out already because uh, this came out. No, this is the May one. Yeah. So I've got to wait, unfortunately it's the other comic <laughs> that, that they're all out. But um, yeah, no, I, I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of this. Cause I, I like that. It's um, I kind of like that. It has this sort of thematic thing of like, uh, haunted house, but can we deal with it? But also, it's not a comedy book in a way. Like the the chilling paranormal stuff isn't like ha ha lol stuff. It is generally terrifying. We're going to lead you to kill yourself type stuff. So I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. And um, yeah, I would say definitely give issue one a read and, and see how you feel. Yeah, I'm going to check that out because that 100 sounds like my thing. Because I've this is this is where this is where this has happened. Because there's like there's going to be another couple of books now that you two have read that I I haven't because I've just been on another planet, like I said, um, literally on another planet. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, I need to check this out. This is something to add to my list. So yeah, I'm 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 just going to let the recommendations wash over me because this sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you'd really like this yeah. greg um and it has the classic for me it's an image book and the cover has the bisexual colors on there lots of uh blues and purples and stuff but yeah. it, it, we've added horned scary uh forest man so uh oh man enjoy. stop <laughs> stop. <laughs> stop or else I'll, I'll just walk away from this recording and let you two finish and i'll just catch but um uh, before I like fully, fully, fully sign off, which I was done, but um, it just reminded me that like I, I spent a lot talking about like thematic and story elements and stuff, and I did speak about like design and stuff. But really, the art is really cool in this. I really like how this book looks. Um, it really does that um, that thing I like, where it's because I don't know, like you, as we've talk, spoken about many times on this podcast about like how uh, the uh, I know the the time aspect of comics, how like you're seeing snapshots of different scenes and, and and you're in control of the movement of time. And I really feel that here where it's just like, uh, as, as a moving from, like, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is the flow is really good from panel to panel. Yeah. And, um, uh, when it's just chill times, people talking and us getting to, to get, getting to know them, it feels good and natural. Um, and then we get like a memory and it's like nighttime sky, but it's all blue and it, it's so impactful. And it's just a like blues and yellows. And then we're back in, we're back in like normal time. And then when things start to go a bit wild, uh, you get a lot more of the greens and oranges, uh, very awful like greens as well, uh, which uh, I don't know they heighten the drama. And I, I just love when, uh, I don't know, the 
light light temperature is used really effectively showing like different times of day so i know it sounds a stupid basic thing and i'm not an artist i'm just an idiot who speaks about comics every couple of weeks but that stuff i really like and this this book does that stuff really well yeah i am looking forward to that to checking that out so yeah um so that was i hate this place right Yes, yeah. it did have an original title, which was, uh, I believe, and this will earn us the E, Fuck This Place. <laughs> Why? Why did and they not a, stick with that? Yeah, there's, a, there's an alternate cover that has it as well. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's like, frame it and stick it on your wall, beautiful. I'd have stuck with that. I mean, I hate this place is good. <laughs> it's a good title, but I'd have stuck with Fuck This Place, man. I love that. Because it's so visceral. Um, <laughs> so, Ray... Uh, you got another one on the list? Yeah, I was gonna. I, I, well, okay. I wanted to bring up Joe Hill's Rain, um, but actually, this is one that Leon recommended, and I believe Leon, correct me if I'm wrong. You've read issue one, and then on your recommendation, I picked up issue one, and then couldn't stop and read all five issues. So, do you want to start with this? Um, I can hand uh, it over to you. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, if you've read it all, I, I'll, I'll be. Uh getting you the ball back but yeah um my, my blurb about this is really short because what i because of what happens in the story all i put is uh the following uh, after i give the credit and this, so this, is, is, jo- this is where the broken pool cues come into <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I, I just can't pot the black with this but um so this is joe hill's reign um the story is by joe hill and then it was in adapted into comic form by david m Bua is how I'm going to try and pronounce that. Mm-hmm. Apologies with me being likely being incorrect. The art is done by Zoe Furrigood. The colours are done by Chris O'Halloran. Uh, the lettering is done by Sean Lee. And this is an image comic again. Uh, and this first issue came out in January of this year, I believe. That's and Chris my O'Halloran basic is the ice cream man colorist, right? Yeah, yeah. indeed. Yes. And you you can feel that when you're in it. Um, but yeah, the basic story blurb is uh, we have a character called Honeysuckle. And, and Honeysuckle loves Yolanda a lot. A lot, a lot. Uh, and they're about to move in together in sunny Boulder, Colorado. And then the sky starts to rain crystal nails. And the story continues from there. Um, I really like... This first issue, I think, I really like the, there's a, it's not really dramatic irony, but because the character is the voiceover of this, they're speaking in past tense in a way that a lot of like Hill and King books um, do, where Mm. it's like the thing, the event uh, is known to this person. And they are speaking about it like this is the last hour before the event happened. And all of that stuff, as they introduce us to their like neighbors and other people in their life and their their love, uh, Yolanda, all that stuff is really effective because even though we don't get to spend a lot of time at that point with these people, the way they are 
uh, illustrated and spoken about. Uh, and uh, you, you kind of get all their essence, especially like in the, na- the how the neighbors are. And you're like, yeah, that's that person who's like, eh, it's, it's a, a teensy bit homophobic, but uh, <laughs> and uh, this is that person who is uh, kind of nosy and like all of that stuff. We just we maybe have like t- a few tiny uh, exchanges with that character at all, but like it does set up such a like, I don't know, foreboding an almost sort of resigned sense of like, and um, back then I, I, I thought, I thought X, but really Y was the thing. And I'm going to tell you why the thing was the thing uh, later. And as it builds up and builds up and you know, like, Oh, this terrible thing's going to happen. And it sounds weird. And then um, when it does happen, it does. When, when those crystal nails start falling, it does. It's a lot. It's very, very effective because it's like, um, these people I've known for like a couple of pages. It's like, oh yeah, this is kind of savage and kind of brutal, and I, w- I wonder uh, what the effect is going to be on, um, on on the lead character. And uh, from what I can tell, like um, with this being like an, an ad- adaptation, it, it seems as though uh, uh, David and Burr has had to like. I don't know, break down the story into into I guess these five issues and to um, sort of bend and stretch and pull and, and make make it fit as a as a as a comic book and I think that it does it for me it doesn't feel like I'm reading something that was like in a different form and is being done it does feel like it it it, it was uh, in story in story form it's always been a comic like it. it Every, all, every element of it does fit the uh, what what we love here about uh, like comic book storytelling and uh, yeah I I think it's got a great look to it, it I, I like that it um, will mess around with color at times and the color is almost like location or uh, specific or like thematic and will change like. Um, in the sequence uh, as the crystal rain begins, it's really cool because it's like a splash page with little inserts, but all the inserts are like sort of fusion pink. And um, yeah, like I, I think that it, I don't know, I think it pulls everything t- t- together in a way that feels, I don't know, like stylized, but not in the way that we think of like stylized, more in the fact that like its particular style uh fits with what's going on and i think it like amplifies the effects um uh, of what's happening in the story but um i mean i read this and was like i want to read the rest so that's where i am but where are you rahul yeah so i read this and then immediately went on to read the rest like i i don't have a, a lot else to add on to what you said i think you hit it nail on the head i think it's an excellent introduction to this story. I think it's a, a thrilling, awful, violent, affecting issue number one that dragged me into reading issues two to five. Um, that thing that you said about the color filtering as ampli- amplification of like heightening those moments that continues throughout the rest of the book. I think the artwork is absolutely stunning. Like it's exactly my kind of thing. It's exactly the kind of thing that drags me in and like draws me to these characters. Um, I will say though, then. From two onwards, and I don't want to say too much because I do really want to revisit this with you guys, but like two somewhat confuses the timeline. I think that's where I begin to feel that it's an adaptation. Like there's there's something about it that feels more dreamlike and sort of off kilter and like doesn't quite add up. 
And I can't tell if it's an intentional thing or because it's been adapted, but it feels like how the way that characters approach the situation and what they choose to do and how quickly they choose to do it, uh, like threw me off balance a little bit and it didn't feel quite right. Um, like, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm kind of torn about how I feel about this story overall. I'm torn between like how beautiful the visuals are, how compelling the setup is, how simple the goals are, like this, this sort of it, what devolves into a, a road trip sort of story, um, how effortlessly that story is told and takes you along. And I'm balancing that against how utterly cruel and devoid of hope it ultimately is. And like, it kind of reminds me of something like The Last of Us, which I don't think I can enjoy anymore in the way that I did on release. So I don't know. I, I want to revisit this with you guys once you've both read it. And I will say, from my point of view, like it concludes more like a Twilight Zone episode than a fully fleshed out novel. And I think what I'd really like to do is go back and read the novel and then reread this comic again. Because like all the other elements that I love, like the... Uh, the art by Zoe Thorogood and the colors by Chris O'Halloran like just really spoke to me. Um, so maybe I need like slightly more context for the story that's happening. But um, yeah, really keen to see what you guys think. I really think you should both finish this story and then we'll we'll talk about it afterwards. Yeah, I, I will have to pick this up and read it because hmm. yeah, <laughs> another one. Uh, yeah, yeah. One thing I actually sorry I didn't I didn't mention like it. I I say how. Uh, simple the goals are and how effortless the story is like it does occasionally throw in the complexity of like navigating current vehicles of hatred into this new fantastical dystopia and how hatred is manifest like that's a really interesting theme going on here that i want to again let it let it percolate a bit longer and Mm. i think i'll have more thoughts on it by the time you guys are caught up yeah so that was uh joe hill's reign Indeed. Um, and that's one to five available now, right? Yeah, that's the full run and it's all out now. And it's Image Comics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two more then that I don't have anything to do with on this list. So who's going next? Uh, I, I'll do the Joneses briefly. Um, this is a... Fantastic Four vibe. Kind of, that's kind of, images, kind of. And... Um, so yeah, this is the Joneses. Uh, I read the first issue. Uh, this was written by. Uh... Oh, sorry, my uh, my Google Doc. Uh, for a this is written by uh, Michael Morici. Morici, I think, is it? Mar- yeah. Uh, again, apologies, uh, Alessandro VT. Uh, I'm going to say Eva Sforchina, which is likely wrong. Uh, I'm just completely ruinous. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, and Sal Cipriano uh, did the letters. And um, this is published by AWA Upshot. Have you read anything from that that uh, house, Greg? No, but I know that the Upshot thing is like a an expanded universe that's all kind of like interlinked. and Okay. So I know, cool, cool. I know, I've not really read anything, but I know that there's like this this whole universe thing, and the Joneses is part of like spinning out of something else. Okay, so yeah. it's like like same story or connected type thing. It's like same, this, like universe. It, it's, it's like an interconnected universe. Yes. Okay, that's cool. Um, yeah, so this is a book where 
there was some sort of, I think it's called the Great Death, it's referred to. Some sort of um, cataclysms happened um, that, from where I've read so far, it, like, it, it basically is a big disaster that happened. And then, not after that disaster, uh, certain people have uh, developed a supernatural abilities uh, in a kind of, like you say, Fantastic Four or in- Incredible Z way. I guess in an x many way or Static Shock type way. But yeah, like a bunch of people have uh, picked up powers, um, but they are they're treated as freaks and yeah. or, and dangerous. Uh, so the titular family, the Joneses themselves, are a nice little blended family in uh, Carlisle, Illinois, which is 20 miles west of Chicago. And you, you've got your, like, sort of, I don't know, the, uh, you, sort of the, the sort of standard family setup here, uh, where uh, the dad is like, on the sly, uh, using his powers for good because he feels like we've got them for a reason. The mum is like, "We need to hide these things because uh, we don't we, we don't want to be uh, ostracized and targeted." Uh, the daughter's rebellious and she masks up and fights bullies and stuff. And then the youngest son, well, the son who is the youngest, he is uh, doesn't I don't know he's unsure of himself and gets bullied. Um, but like beyond that, in the wider thing, we get to see uh, what the other other people in the community are like, and you have like very sort of America suburbia, like Fox News watchers who are like, um, oh, we, we should we we should watch out for these people. And the, the, while they're not going like freaks and stuff, it's all still dog whistles and stuff. So it's like. They could be dangerous, and we don't want them in our community and stuff like that. Um, whereas, like, and then this family are, are like a family of soups who have to sort of navigate all of this uh, while keeping their their powers under wraps. And for some members of the family, keeping their powers under wraps is uh, <laughs> harder than others. But um, yeah, I mean that's generally the setup of the first episode, where episode the first issue where um, we had like a it's not really a PTA meeting, it's like a community meeting uh, where you've got people spreading out like we need to do something, blah blah blah, and then people saying but they're just people, da da da, and then um, at the same time there is a bank robbery that the um, uh, the the dad the patriarch gets involved in, um, which is dun 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 being done by being perpetrated by other people with powers so um obviously that's not going to be good for anybody um so yeah it, it creates that drama and also then we get drama with the the mother who's our she seems <laughs> in the same like uh you know how Jean Grey Phoenix is like, I can't control it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of like that. Her power <laughs> looks super destructive and scary. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're like someone, the classic comic book thing where like someone goes, goes off and then they have not just eye lasers, but a mouth laser as well as they go. Oh. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That happens. And it's cool. I love stuff like that. Um, but yeah, like um, the, the general setup's pretty interesting. I think this is a, uh, 
it's a world that has a lot of potential because in there you have a lot of actual like family disagreement stuff, which yeah. is some is standard and, and other stuff is actually more sort of like, oh, this is a bit more yeah. um, like complicated adult drama, which is cool. And yeah. it isn't just The Incredibles and like, uh, da 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 um, I, uh, I say that obviously I love The Incredibles, but like yeah. it, it, it feels very much uh, uh, like grounded in some in some ways um, while being heightened in, in other ways. But what yeah. were you going to say? I feel like it's completely intentional, the Fantastic Four thing, by the way, especially from some of the images I'm looking at where they've all got matching uniforms and... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, yeah. that that definitely is. But, like, yeah. from where I am in, in, for issue one, um, it very much is a, a setup of, like, yeah, we've got to got to keep this under wraps and yeah. we've got to deal with this. We've got, we, we don't want to be targeted and yeah. who knows what laws they're going to start putting into place and stuff to keep... keep um, oh, that's what they're called. They're called reborns. Sorry. So, like the um, the name of people with these abilities are called reborns, and the conspiracy theory going is that the reborns are the reason that the the great death, I think it's mm. called, happened. Yeah. So, like, it weaves in these things, and but also weaves in like real like life politics in a way that I believe Rahul was saying with the previous the Joe Hill um, Rain book that we're talking about, where so while X Men is X Men is like the mutants are standing for other hated classes, whether it be um, uh, people of colour or like uh, qu- uh, queer folk or wh- whomever. Uh, in this, the reborns are hated in that same way, but also <laughs> regular racism, sexism and homophobia still exists as well. And um, they bring up parallels how like people uh, like six months ago were saying like Black Lives Matter and that are saying we've got to be careful of these reborns. And it brings up those hypocrisies and um introduces them into an actual tangible world and like stuff like that can go here or there it can go it can go good or bad and issue one it hasn't gone bad but um i do i hope that it we we like i always i think it takes a fine deft hand to not make like bring in real like real life and semi recent real life stuff and it not be cringe if you know what i mean because it feels too a hot button and and uh uh like off uh, ripped off the pages type thing but uh so far I, i'm not getting the vibes of that off this yeah. um but i'm i i'm interested to see where it goes but um i'm not too sure uh like where the story is going um, apart from the fantastic four element it'd be interesting to read this and then check out some of the rest of the expanded universe as well because I'm looking now, so AWA, Artists, Writers and Artisans, um, is, is the, the, uh, the company that publishes this. Um, and um, this is like, there's like seven interlinked series in a shared universe that they call um, the Upshot. So it's like their Upshot imprint. Mm. So AWA Upshot. So you've got the Joneses, you've got a book called Moths, you've got a book called Knighted, there's a book called Erratic, and then this comes out of. I think this is all. This is like a thing called the, the story called the Resistance, and I think this comes out of that. So I think all of these come from a story. I might be wrong, but this is just what I'm looking at now. Uh, mm. You've got the Resistance, the Resistance Reborns, and the Resistance Uprising, and I think like those three probably set the stage for the preceding four. And those four individual stories come out of what happens during the Resistance. I think. So it'd be interesting to see how that all works together and whatever. And maybe this uh, uh, this plague you speak of maybe happens in one of the... In, in yeah, yeah, because I'm wondering yeah. that because it yeah. has the things like the Great Death and stuff. So I, I assume those are probably 
handled in the history of one of the previous or one of the other books. Yeah. But yeah, like ultimately this is like prestige TV, Fantastic Four slash Incredibles, I guess. Mm. Um, so like, um, if that sounds like your jam, yeah, give it, uh, give it a look. But um, yeah, I'm also intrigued by this, uh, yeah. this connected world thing. Um, I, I kind of like sort of big swings like that. Um, yeah. Despite me many times on this podcast saying that uh, <laughs> long-running DC and Marvel stuff does my head in. Yeah, but this so. is this is pretty. This <laughs> is this is looking pretty pretty contained at the moment. Yeah, which is probably yeah. what, what what my this uh, is the ground floor on getting there. <laughs> yeah, it, I, yeah, that's the problem. You know, that yeah. is the problem. Yeah, that I'm, I'm going to engage in a little bit of copium here and be like, yeah, that is the problem. <laughs> uh, if I was just there at the beginning of all these arcs, if I was then there be fine. in the 1940s. When the first <laughs> exactly, if I watched One Piece from episode one onwards, then it'd be fine. If you watched One Piece from episode one onwards, oh, you'd be a different person. Yeah, I, I <laughs> sometimes I, I do think about starting One Piece, and then sometimes I just think I, you know, I'd rather fall out of a window. <laughs> Why not do both <laughs> simultaneously? What, fall out of a window, get put in a body cast, then have no choice but to watch One Piece. And probably get no, through no. all of it very quickly. What, what you do, like, this will take ages, but uh, edit every episode together, sans the opening and closing credits, set it to whatever super speed will last, like, five seconds, and then <laughs> watch that on your phone as you jump out of the window. Because time will slow down before you hit the ground, <laughs> so you will be able to watch the whole show. Oh, man, if only that worked. Uh, life hacks life hack right there yeah. <laughs> hours of recorded lectures <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah oh man yeah no um yeah it, and and by the way when i say i'd rather fall out of a window that's not because one piece is bad by any means it's because like the fact that you know it's gonna it would it would be so so long and so much time and i'd be so behind it's just the idea of it just feels laughably ridiculous right now Think um, of the language you could learn in that time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Duolingo, man. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, that was The Joneses, and that is part of the AWA intercollected universe, I believe is the, uh, they call it um, the AWA upshot universe. Um. So like, the last one then, before I get to, wax about the final comic um so something called monkey meat that i've seen here and there around the internet and not managed to check out yet anthology title image comics um juni bar yes juni yeah, bar yeah so uh yeah, yeah. so like this is um Junior Bar, who we spoke about about a year ago with uh, Julia. Um, yeah, I think that was episode 114. Yeah, which it was. Is, it came yeah. out at the end of June last year. So, yeah, about a year. Like, June June is Junior Bar time. And <laughs> um, I, I think this comic uh, did start earlier in the year. And um, it's, it's pretty cool. It's got that, like, chaotic, uh, comically satirical style. That uh, that we got from Julia, but it's, with this being anthology, I've only read the first issue, but it it, it is very much in a pure sort of um, open 
uh, satire mode. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, like the, the way the first issue goes is that we are basically given a tour of Monkey Meat Island. And uh, <laughs> what is Monkey Meat, you may ask? Monkey Meat is everything you need. It's breakfast, lunch, it's dinner. It comes in a tin. It's a delicious canned meal from the Monkey Meat uh, Corporation. Uh, and uh, do you want to know how the sausage is made? Well, come on down. And, well, they already uh, make that, you know. It's like, it, 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 it's called Pedigree Chum, and it is actually fit for human <laughs> consumption. Not that you would, but it is. And if you wanted yeah, but, to. Yeah, but I bet it's not made in the way that monkey meat is made. Probably not, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like we, we spend time and there is... Um, we basically get to see some of the ins and outs of uh, how this company work and how a bit of the history because uh, we are with a someone who's going to do an ad for them who used to be a journalist and they are with sort of the person who 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 runs operations and they're given a tour and a bit of a rundown of how how things happen. And, and um, yeah, like I said, it's uh, it's darkly uh, satirical, um, and it touches on pretty much everything that you could think of would touch with a uh, a company that uh, tins monkey meat. Whereas um, it deals with like late stage capitalism, colonialism, uh, labor rights and worker safety, class betrayal. Uh, all talk style activism like it, it, it's there but it's, it's not done in a uh, preachy way it might be done in a bit of a winky way but it's not really done in a preachy way it's more just a case of like yeah this is how all these companies sort of operate and this is just the slightly hyperbolic version of it yeah. um, where it like um, some of the panels touch on like old style I guess like 40s 50s ads that you would have you would have got for like yeah. types of like food and stuff and then over it other bits are just like you, you spend like a panel or two of these characters dealing with stuff. So like um, one of the elements here is a, a chemical. Uh, I should have, should have noticed down. It's called. Uh, is it? 21G compound. Yes, that's it. Yeah. 21G compound. And uh, that can lead to a little bit of mutation. <laughs> and you just have certain people remarking on stuff like, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 and workers' comp and blah, blah, and like, yeah, my hand's mutating. And it's like all of it uh, is done in a way where it, uh, it it's like s- small slights, but like – so like in, in our current life, we take so many um, – wild things for granted that we just shouldn't yeah. allow this um, this just feels like what i read every morning on twitter <laughs> yeah <laughs> is, i guess so in, in ways is monkey meat stolen bored apes where someone didn't pay the ransom uh, for all that's good and holy in the world i'm so happy it's not, not. <laughs> Grand um, <bored> apes. <laughs> yeah yeah because otherwise the uh, this comic would have been muted like every nft uh term is muted for me on twitter but like um no i think what yeah what's what's great with this is that it it, um we get to see sort of the effects this can have uh like long term on someone who was like was part of this place before it was colonized and turned into uh this factory of of awfulness and industrial carnage and someone who 
uh, have sort of been used to um, like help colonize the place against their own people and the way that can sort of like mutate you and sort of change you uh, and your outlook happens and that happens like figuratively but also it happens like literally um, and I think that for the themes that this is going that that one might be the one where it's like uh, uh, very solidified to be in your face but I think it, it ultimately works for me and is um, uh, a great idea and what, what was great for me is that there's a little element there where they're talking about like what like animal that person is supposed to be. <laughs> um, and and I, from the design of them, I was sort of like, huh, at the beginning. And then later on in the book, it's like editors know this is for blah, blah. And it like addresses it in a really funny way, which I thought was really cool. Um, but like, yeah, I think this is, um, uh, I think it's a, a solid start with this anthology. And I'm, um, uh, as of everything, I'm looking forward to checking out the rest. I was a big fan of uh, uh, Julia, and uh, I would like to see uh, what Juni Bar does with this type of format and um, mm. sort of sort of going this ham with the satire. So um, I'll yeah. be I'll be checking out the rest, which I can't remember. I think this uh, I think at least a, a bunch of other issues are out at this point. So I'm going to check them out. I want to check this out because it sounds incredible. Uh, yeah, I believe all five issues of this anthology are out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get into. Re- I'm gonna get to reading this and let you know what I think next episode. Yeah, I think you'll really like it, Greg, because like one of the big touchstones. Because I've read this first issue of the anthology as well. Like uh, lots of Abe's Odyssey vibes from it. Yeah. Um, like super irreverent, super hyperactive. Like I really love the art style. I uh, I walked away feeling quite uh, dizzy and confused, <laughs> so I had to go back and reread it a couple of times just to like get the gist of it because it ru- it moves at such a crazy pace. Yeah, and, like, this is why uh, I think. Sorry to kind mm. of, um, where I think like where I said chaotic, like it feels chaotic, like you were getting punched in the face with stuff. Yeah, yeah and, like it doesn't play to my strengths at all, but like I was I was enjoying it so much, I went back and reread it to try and understand it better. But like I really love this concept of. Um, like this, uh, this, this character who's native to the island talked into betraying his people and like quote unquote cleansing the land by a slick salesman who's smooth enough, smooth enough to make deals with God. And like, you know, this, this, this compound that you're talking about, like he takes it and he can't even die without having his soul claimed for labor. And it just, it made me think like, isn't it crazy how we've got so many stories about late, late stage capitalism and indentured servitude and, you know, in all these mystical or modern forms therein. So like severance, hard space. Yeah. Uh, shipbreaker citizen sleeper like there's a lot of these stories coming out and like i'm here to just sort of absorb yeah. all of them and, i think it's I, great that we have it i honestly wonder where all that's coming from uh-huh, like, uh-huh. i really do <laughs> yeah <you know>? yeah <laughs> it's not like we're living in it or anything mm. yeah. yeah this is one of those great where it's like it's a tough recommendation because you'll clearly love it like you absolutely will love it and it's it's an easy recommendation in that way but it's tough because it'll get you ranting like it'll it'll trigger all of your boxes and like you'll be right along for the ride so yeah yeah, yeah I, or, or it yeah. could be catharsis yeah 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 it could be it could be it's either gonna jokerize me and i'm gonna be like <laughs> sending you guys message after message or it's gonna like it's gonna be fine <laughs> so yeah we'll see. hey a, a bit of jokerism can be cathartic yeah yeah but um i'm just gonna add that uh like uh like what uh rahul alluded to i think like the issue one ends on such a deliciously dark note that like that is such a like brutally like fantastic concept 
that like in that in itself could be a whole story of its own. Mm. <laughs> it's it's so just disgusting in a great way. There is no escape. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I uh I am looking forward to checking that out. So yeah, that it, it I mean I'm looking at images of it now and stuff and it does look one hundred percent something that I would fully enjoy. And I did I did like uh Juni Bar's um other work that we checked out as well. So Yeah, and I feel like Juni Bar doesn't uh, write or draw books like anyone else. Like it is a very yeah. particular style, and um, it, I think it's it's almost like a, a, a language onto onto itself. Where yeah. like it, it, like it, it doesn't surprise me, Rahul, that you you probably want to like give it a second go because mm. I think that you you need to like your brain needs to like tune in to the frequency that. Uh, yeah but then once it once it does um you yeah it's like learning a new language suddenly the 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 grammar starts to fall in place a bit more. yeah it's like the uh like exactly what you just said like the visual language of it all sort of wasn't what i was primed for in that moment having read all the other books we just talked about i did have to reset my senses kind of to like actually follow what was happening um it was great when it all clicked though does it have the gendy tarkovsky vibes that his other work has in degrees, yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, so I am going to finish this episode off by discussing a second TKO book that I picked up, which is called The Forgotten Blade. Um, and this is dystopian high science fantasy. Uh, and this is written by uh, Zhe Chun. Um, art is by Tony Fajula. Um lettering by jeff powell uh with some color assistance by roygan hells um so yeah this is like really this is high science fantasy um and uh it's just these heavy jack kirby influence and vibes that i get from this from the design and the story um that might be just my particular takeaway from it but i feel like that is that is a thing that it was going for um, so it is kind of like commentary on organized religion and, um, particularly Catholicism, um, and control of information and control of population. And right at the beginning of this episode, I said something, uh, I said religious fascism, and I feel like this is an expansion of that idea. So there's a lot of that going on. Um, so the, uh, the blurb from the back of the book and enchantress in, an enchantress recruits an amoral mercenary to save the souls of her children who were cursed by an inquisition in this action packed fantasy epic. But to do that, they must brave the five rivers, infiltrate the citadel and vanquish the most powerful adversary of all the malevolent God who created this world in the first place. Um, so yeah, um, this is rather incredible as as, as a, a fantasy story goes um some really awesome twists and imagery and some really really fantastic um just incredible high fantasy world building that is just out completely you know 
off the scale imagination wise like i can't imagine it's just it and it has this like kind of real jack kirby through line that i'm really digging um so yeah and it deals with a lot of different themes around religion and the absolute control of religion over a population and as i've termed it religious fascism so um like the church being the absolute power and absolute power corrupting absolutely um and there's a philosophical conversation in there about the nature of god again and this again ties back to black mass like this indifferent and cruel god and this uncaring god and the idea of um of us being made in god's image to be as cruel and uncaring as he is maybe um and that's you know man is man is only how man is because god made man in god's image and that's how god is and that kind of you know thinking and and philosophy um you know the idea that i've probably like when people have asked me this when i've been having these like deep 4am conversations about what are we man why are we here like are we just a failed experiment like you know and and there's that whole through line of that kind of stuff and it's um these incredible otherworldly designs and concepts and and like parallels with colonialism and everything else and it's it's just fantastic in that way um it has this really fantastic beautiful visual and conceptual design um very unique and different very awesome character design playing in these kind of um really sort of like abstract high science fantasy uh environments like i've got no other way to describe them other than like taking kirby and then dialing it up a bit um as in like kirby's new gods and then dialing it up like way up uh, <laughs> and it's just like it's not as cosmic as kirby because there's a, like a lot more it's a lot more um like traditional fantasy but with that that kirby-ish edge so it's not it's not like it's like it's on the same kind of plane but it's not as cosmic as that it's more it's got like more of a sword and sorcery edge to it um and like it's you know uh i I can't i haven't got the words for this man i was trying to write stuff down about it and all i was doing was just finding that i was just babbling about how cool it looked and it's i can't really describe to you because there's nothing else like it it's like this this uh painted um and and like fine ink lines and it's like like watercolor painted but it's the whole palette of the entire book is modeled after the colors of the five rivers but the five rivers are just the five primary colors anyway um and it's rather um the five rivers are are basically just like basic primary colors um and it's just all modeled after that and like the whole palette is just variations and washes of that um Mm. over this beautiful delicate line work and it's just so like bright and gorgeous and just so much going on every time you you're going through it's just it's there's nothing like it at all it's incredible um and there's these like soft bordered panels with like this kind of like um torn edge feel to them uh and it kind of like bleeds over and feeds this fantasy aesthetic it looks ancient and at the same time 
advanced. Um, so if something can look ancient and historic, but at the same time beyond and futuristic uh, to, to strike that balance and, and get that onto the page. And then it, 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 that, that is fed by the fact that it, it feels and looks like an old book in the way that we've got these torn edge panels and these, these page borders. Um, and then the lettering and the speech bubbles are, have the same kind of look about them that feeds into the whole aesthetic um and then there's this runic language that they use in particular portions and it's um yeah it's a wonderful story it's a beautiful uh kind of like um revenge fantasy epic um and yeah it goes to places and there are twists and turns and loop the loops and you will love it and i don't because my notes are just incoherent so <laughs> That's that's <laughs> that's where I'm getting with this, but you guys should check it out because it's so so great, um, and I just I just love everything about it. I love how bright it is, and how different it is, and how out there it is, um, and just the whole look and feel of it, and this idea of this uh, this woman avenging her children, and and going to the extent that you know she's like, well, there's only one way to do it, and that's to go to the very top. I've got to kill God Himself, you know. Like it's it's great. I love it. Um, and and oh, there's this there's some really great concepts in here for creatures. There's this um, it's almost like um, Dante's Inferno in a way, where each because uh, each river represents something different, and each river, um, the waters of that river have a particular gift. And I'm going to say gift in in commas because I you know it, it's a curse really when you think about <laughs> it, but. Um, there's the, the, the voiding, uh, waters, which, uh, there's the city that, which, um, you drink and it just erases your memory. So you drink from the water and it erases your memory and people go there to forget like how shitty they've been. And then, uh, there's like the, um, the, there's like river, there's a river that amplifies your pain, uh, and people go there only to wallow in how shitty they've been. <laughs> so like the river of pain. Um, and uh, in the river of pain, when people go to the river of pain, there are masses of flesh that are made up of millions of bodies called pain bodies that are like giant flesh golems that stalk the waters in the landscape made up of millions of bodies screaming and wailing about whatever particular emo things going on for them, you know, uh, going there to wallow in their self-pity and whatever um or their pain or their anguish um and yeah I, I love stuff like that and it just speaks to me on so many levels <laughs> so yeah it's it's got like this this kind of like circles of hell vibe going for it as well it's just so creative and imaginative i've there's nothing else like it i've got nothing to compare it to really um and i just think it's it's very original and i want more because it's great i love it um beautiful story um excellent origin tale for a world as well because we get treated to that um yeah i'll correct myself and say the three primary colors plus two composite colors because it's yellow blue red green and orange and green and orange are composites aren't they so yeah um but yeah it's, until you're the artist on this uh, podcast <laughs> <laughs> well you say that <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, it's colours, colours. But yeah, no, they they're good. It's great. I love it. I love everything about it. And I just I just got like real 
real escapism from it. It was great. So I recommend it to you guys, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely check this out. Mm. Yeah, and that is... Um, that is... Uh, <clears throat> the Forgotten Blade. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm not... I don't want to talk too much about the actual story of it because I don't want to ruin it because there's, there's so much going on that, like, each thing is so interconnected with the next thing. And if I start to explain to you what exactly this world is, it's going to ruin the whole premise and the plot. So you just have to trust me that it's just like this high fantasy sword and sorcery Kirby land and you'll enjoy it. But yeah, um, it's great. And that I think finishes this episode, doesn't it? So that has been the end of Ace Comical's Episode number 133, you can find us in the usual place, www.acecomicals.com, which is the hub for everything that we do. If you're listening to this cast, you've probably already been there. Um, you can find me uh, languishing in my casket in the dark depths, uh, the dungeon chambers of Twitter, <laughs> uh, under at Bato, that's B-A-T-T-O-U, and uh, you can find us as Ace Comicals on Twitter, under Ace Comicals. Um, at us, talk to us, um, tell us about the comics that you've read. If you've read any of the things we've discussed today, talk to us about those because we want to hear, I want to hear what you have to say. I want to know whether you liked it or not. Um, you can DM us as well if you want to, uh, Ray, where can we find you? Uh, also languishing on Twitter at Monkey M O O N K E H. And Leon, where can we find you? I'm living my best life on Twitter. Uh, all right <laughs> the only one of us who's got the sense to mute the term nft you know whenever they show those memes where it's like yeah. the world if someone did blah blah, blah and it's always some like utopian paradise that's me <laughs> with using my mutes <laughs> you've you've just got like the the good future on every zone man that's you but like yeah, i look but I'm all about keeping that term there because, you know, sometimes there's some really great schadenfreude that comes out of that. Yeah, well, I still see that stuff because you guys share it in the group, Jen. So uh, I get like a nice uh, yeah, curated... Yeah. yeah, well, I get a nice curated uh, version of uh, the NFT hellscape and not like the raw retweets from everyone <laughs> that I was getting before. Yeah, yeah, no. You're a smart man, Leon. I just, I just wish I had the time to set up all the filters and terms that you've done. Like it's years of work, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's too, it's too hard. It's, it's not, not even worth even looking for it. To be honest, better off watching One gotta, Piece. Yeah, exactly. You, you'll finish One Piece before you find the mute um, menu in, in Twitter. Before I get the mute menu fully set up to my own, what I need. You know, I'm better off just not going on there. But yeah, um, so yeah, that uh, that has been Ace Comicals number one three three. That is Ace Comicals, over and out.